tell me what you believe about the church and I'll tell you what you believe about God. It's that simple. Tell me what you understand about the church and I'll tell you what you understand about God. The church is God's instrument to bring Him glory. And more and more people have been talking bad about the church, rejecting the church, despising the church, and you're rejecting the means of bringing glory to God through Christ Jesus. You can know all about theology. You can know all about the Reformation, the Puritans. You can know all about systematic theology, all sorts of things. But if you cannot get up earlier on Sunday to come and serve people, that's just worthless. You do not know Christ. have heard Christians saying, I'll die for Jesus, but I will never die for the church. I'll die for Jesus. How are you going to die for Jesus if you're not dying for the church? When He died for the church. Remember that the wisdom of God, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, is foolishness to the world. Why? Because the wisdom of God is ultimately revealed in a Savior dying the most humiliating form of death, naked on a Gentile Roman cross. So I want to ask you to please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Starting verse 6, Paul says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let's jump to verse 20. Chapter 3, verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to the Lord our God. Uh, we live in a society that completely anti-establishment. Right? More and more you see how people are against any sort of establishment. And the... Sad thing is, as you think about this mentality, is that the church is an establishment. The church was established by the Lord Jesus Christ. The triune God established the church. And one of the uh, clearest evidence of this rejection towards all sorts of establishment is the group known as nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns. There is this group growing in the U.S., uh, and this acronym is used to describe people who indicate in surveys that they have no religion or do not belong to any particular religion. And this group keeps growing in the U.S. as more and more people are against any sort of establishment, and especially the church. And we see how this type of mentality has been affecting and infecting people who proclaim to be Christians. There is a great number of people who claim to be Christians, but they have no commitment to a local church. They have no longing, no desire to get involved with a local church. We see also 
lives who once were committed to the church, but after they experienced some sort of pain, some sort of suffering and trial, they started hating the church and forsaking the church. Uh, making personal experience above God's command and wisdom. So you ask so many of these people, and you're not denying the pain and the trauma that they suffer in church, but that could never be the reason for you not to be in church. Otherwise, you're placing your experience above God's word and wisdom. And especially with the COVID, that was very revealing. You see, the COVID did not make people forsake the church was just a revelation, was just God opening the curtains to show how many hearts claimed to love Christ, but had no love for His people. And I think we need to be careful. There are two extremes. The first is church utopia, where you think that you have this false idealistic church that will never hurt you, there would never be anything wrong in the church. So that's church utopia. And then you have church dystopia, where people are cynic. They don't want to know anything related to the church. And that's two wrong extremes that we see going on. I went to the Ligonier. Uh, they have a, a survey. And in their survey of last year, the State of Theology 2022, they say, for much of American history, the influence of Christianity resulted in a high rate of church attendance. And church membership was normative. Yet, increasing secularization in the United States has led to more Americans identifying as non-religious. They see the nuns. In addition, the entrenched cultural value of individualism makes it unsurprising that most Americans deem church membership as optional for Christians. And I want to remind you that church membership is not optional. You know, people think that church, being in church, is like this option. It's like you're going to a buffet, and you have this spiritual buffet, and you have these choices. Oh, I can choose to go to church for my spiritual life, or I can choose just to go to the woods, to the beach, to be at home. Church is not an option for your spiritual life. It's a demand. It's a command. And you cannot grow as a Christian without being part of a local church. Because you cannot obey the New Testament apart from being faithful in a local church. One cannot be claiming to be in Christ, to be a Christian, to claim that you are in Christ, and at the same time avoid his body, the church. That's nonsense. To love and serve Christ is to love and serve what? His church. And if you question that, just ask Paul. You can go to Acts chapter 9, and right in the beginning, we hear that Saul was persecuting the way, Christians, the church. And as he's persecuting the church, Jesus comes to him, and Jesus tells Saul, or Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting what? The church? Why are you persecuting me? Oh, wait a second, Paul is persecuting the church. Because they are inseparable. So as we start moving now to our study of what it means to be Baptist, we are going to see that the Baptist aspect is very much involved with ecclesiology. Kids, what is ecclesiology? The study of the church. Ecclesia, Ecclesia, the church. And then you have the study of the church. And that's why the Baptist aspect or the Baptist nature of our church is so much grounded in the doctrine of the church. So we are going to be studying practical aspects of the life of the church. We will be covering church polity. What is church polity? How the church is structured. Parts of the church, and think about that every organism, every organism needs some structure. Every organization needs structure. And the church has its structures coming from the Lord. 
So the doctrine of the church or ecclesiology has always been a major concern for the people called Baptists. And I'm talking historically. And it's because we love the Lord Jesus. And once you love the Lord Jesus, you cannot but love His people, His brides. Amen? So, this morning what I want to do is kind of introduce this theme of the topic of the church. First, by going to the Reformation. We're going to go to the Reformation and see how the Reformation was this engine propelling people to study more and get to know more and love more the church. And then you're going to look at the importance of the church. So, may the Lord help us. So, the Reformation and the church. And so, as we transition from what it means to be Reformed to what it means to be Baptist, we can never just bring this knife and cut these two apart. Because actually, to be Baptist is to go back to the Reformation. Why? Because the Reformation is a return to the Scriptures. To be Baptist in our distinctives, I believe, is to be biblical. We are returning. We are going back to the Scriptures. And that flows from the Reformation. There was the wonderful movement when the Lord Jesus brought His church back to the source of life. And that is the Gospel. Amen? Think about the Reformation. The Scriptures are brought back to the pulpit. People now have the Bibles in their hands, just like us. And they can read the Scriptures and they can get to know God. And once they have their Bibles open and they can see the Gospel, once the Gospel is truly embraced, Jesus is embraced, and consequently His people, His church, is embraced together. It's all flowing from the Scriptures. And as the Reformers, think about all, all the doctrines they were wrestling with. Think about Sola Scriptura. They, they, they're dealing with the doctrine of the Scriptures. Think about Solus Christus. They're dealing with the doctrine of Christ. They're dealing with the doctrine of salvation. They're dealing with the doctrine of God. Consequently, they had to deal with the doctrine of what? The church. Because doctrines, they are all interconnected. Doctrines are connected with one another. So, they were able to see, as they start studying the Scriptures, looking at the, the Bible, they were able to see that they needed now to wrestle with the doctrine of the church. And you think about those days, how hard that was for the Reformers, as they are coming from a time in history where you have only one church. You have only one church. So, for example, you think about Martin Luther have here on january 3rd 1521 luther was officially no longer a member of the church he's excommunicated of the roman catholic church and you might say oh no big deal he can just go and find a different church wrong ma there are no other churches there are no other churches it's not like he can just go to the other town and find a church for him. No, there are no churches. There's just the Roman Catholic Church. Yes, there was the Eastern Orthodox Church after they split in in 1054, but the Eastern Orthodox Church was very far away. Even if you went to the Eastern Orthodox, you'd not like the doctrines there. So there was no local church for those reformers that once they have been excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church to go, so they need to wrestle with that personally. Can you imagine that? You're part of the only church that you know. And suddenly, you are excommunicated of that church. You can no longer go to that church. What are you going to do? So they had to wrestle with the doctrine of the church. And one of the main questions that the reformers were struggling with was, what is the true church? What makes a church? What are the marks of a true church? And as they had the Bibles in their hands, as they were able to look at the Scriptures, they were able to see that a true church is where the gospel is truly and faithfully proclaimed. To have a true church, you must have the true gospel. And by looking at the Roman Catholic Church, they saw that the gospel was not there. So if you don't have the gospel there, you don't have a church. 
And if you have the gospel, you have a church. So that starts helping them to see how they can have different churches as long as the gospel of Jesus Christ is the center of that place. They were able to see, once they opened the scriptures, that Jesus creates and sustains the church through the gospel. Apart from the true gospel, there is no church. And where there is the true gospel, there is the Holy Spirit. And where there is the Holy Spirit, there is faith. And where there is faith, there is church. I like what John Hammett says. He writes, The gospel is prior to the church, and the church exists because of it. Therefore, if the church ever loses the gospel, it ceases to be a church. The reformers were right to insist on the preaching of the gospel as a mark of the true church. And then he says, proper teaching on church polity and worship and other aspects may be essential to the well-being of the church, but the gospel is essential to its being. I think it's a wonderful sentence. Yes, church polity is very important for the well-being of the church, but the gospel is what makes the church. That's why we can have Presbyterian Church, Episcopalian Church, Baptist Church. It's different church polities, but the gospel is there that makes those churches. So the gospel makes the church. Just like in creation, the word of God, God speaking, forms creation. So also is the church. The church is the result of God speaking the gospel to his people. So as they are wrestling with these questions about the church, it's interesting, Luther he gets really upset. He, does not, he, he doesn't want to use the, the German word Kirk for church. He wants Verson, that is assembly. He prefers because for him, as he's struggling with the doctrine of the church, for him, church, the word church, it just makes him think of the Roman Catholic buildings. And as he's studying, he sees that, hey, church is actually an assembly of God's people when they get together. And one thing that's so beautiful about the reformers, as you think about their, there are many flaws in the reformers as it comes to church, the teaching of the church. Amen? There are many flaws. Especially Baptists know how much we suffer under so many of the reformers. But what is beautiful is that the reformers, though they were attacked, rejected, put to death by the church, the great institutional Roman Catholic Church, yet they kept loving and treasuring the church. So you read the Reformers, and you cannot but see a love for the local church. Even though they were persecuted, beaten, martyred, burned by the church. Because the Reformers saw the glory of Christ, and once you see the glory of Christ, you cannot but see the glory of His people for whom He died and purchased. So I just want to remind you that our Baptist distinctives, our Baptist character of this church is flowing, is grounded in the Reformation because the Reformation was a return to where? The Scriptures. Amen? So as we move to the importance, the importance of the church, I think it's here where I spend some time. As I said, much of our Baptist distinctives are related to ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. That's what we're going to be looking at the next sermons. Who makes the church? What is the church? Because once you understand what is the church, the nature of the church, that's going to help you to understand the ordinances. Who should partake of the ordinances? That will help you to understand how the church is structured. Once we understand the nature of the church. But before we go there, I just want to remind you that as, they re as people, especially the early Christians during the Reformation, as they are struggling with the doctrine of ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, it's actually flowing from their understanding of the doctrine of God, doctrine of salvation. Do you know, tell me what you believe about the church, and I'll tell you what you believe about God. It's that simple. Tell me what you understand about the church, and I'll tell you what you understand about God. Because our understanding of God is inseparable from our understanding of the church. John Webster, he says, 
the revealed secret of God not only concerns the unfathomable majesty of God himself, it also concerns the human society, he's referring to the church, which the triune God elects, sustains, and perfects to the praise of his glorious grace. From this emerges two funda fundamental principles for an evangelical ecclesiology. He says, first, there can be no doctrine of God without a doctrine of the church. For according to the Christian confession, God is the one who manifests who he is in the economy of his saving work, in which he assembles a people for himself. Second, there can be no doctrine of the church which is not wholly referred to the doctrine of God in whose, in whose being and action alone the church has its being and action. Meaning, we cannot separate. The church is grounded in the character of God. So I pray that as we seek to understand, to study the doctrine of the church, we will also be diligent in studying the doctrine of God. And as we study the doctrine of God, like we have been studying the doctrine of the Trinity as a church, that we will impact our view of the doctrine of the church. Amen? So, as the Reformers had their Bibles open, one thing was clear. Christians need to be in a healthy church. They need to be in a healthy congregation. Tim Stafford, he says, A living, breathing congregation is the only place to live in a healthy relationship to God. That's because it's the only place on earth where Jesus has chosen to dwell. I, I just want you to chew and swallow that. See if you agree with that. A living, breathing congregation is the only place to live in a healthy relationship to God. Meaning, you cannot claim to be a Christian, to love God, to walk in holiness, if you are not part of a healthy church. Why? Because He promised His unique presence with the church. So, the church is the only institution that Jesus promised victory and gave his keys. Think about that. The church is the only institution that Christ promised victory and the gates of Hades will not prevail. And I give you the keys. Turn with me to Ephesians 3. Let's look at the wonderful passage to see the importance of the church here. Paul says, Starting verse 8. To me, though I'm the very least of all saints. Look at his humility. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints. Here's the Apostle Paul. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. And he already told us the, the mystery, what it is. It's in verse 6. Look in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. Meaning the mystery is that Jews and Gentiles now form this new humanity, this new race in Jesus Christ. Hidden for ages in God who created all things so that, and that's so important, so that, here's the reason, the purpose, through what? The government, through the family, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul is saying that the church is a theater. is the theater where God displays His wisdom and glory like no other place. The fact that God is able to reconcile people who once hated one another and form one body is a public display of His diverse wisdom. And, and look at verse 10. I, I, that's jaw-dropping because he says that the church is this Theater of God's wisdom, not only on earth, but where? In the heavenly places. 
glorified and fallen angels behold the church and they behold the wisdom of God in the church. Something that they could have never imagined. The local church manifests the manifold wisdom and power of God. Sin will not have the last word. Disorder and division will not last forever. That's why you can look at church and look at the fallenness of our world and see the contrast. Here is unity. Here is people who love one another. People who once hated each other. Now they're together. And that's a display of God's wisdom and power. Thomas Reiner, he says, referring to this passage, he says, Paul was not a Western individualist who indulged in a privatized, privatized Christianity, nor did he conceive of the church as an embarrassment or a necessary evil. The church enshrined God's plan for history, revealing to all creation the wisdom and depth of God's saving plan. He says, the church is the locus of God's glory, the theater in which he displays his grace and love. The church features God's wisdom, declaring to the whole universe that the outworking of, hi of history is not arbitrary, but fulfills God's wonderful plan. Think about the final unification, glorification, reconciliation of all things is Presented in the life of the church. What God will accomplish when Christ returns is a first fruit that people can taste right now. And it's Psalm 19. If you open to Psalm 19, it says that the heavens were. The heavens declare the glory of God. And, and the psalmist David goes on to say how creation displays this glory and wisdom of God. Amen? Creation displays the wisdom of a creator. You see how everything is so perfectly orchestrated. When you look at Mount Hood, Crater Lake, Grand Canyon, Yosemite, Niagara Falls, we see the majesty and the glory of God. Amen? You look at some animals, some animals, I'm kidding. All the animals. <laughs> you see the wisdom of God. And even those animals that we hate and we don't know why they exist, was still created by God for a purpose. So you see that creation displays this complexity and unity of God's wisdom. But brothers and sisters, creation pales in comparison of the new creation, the church. If the old creation displaces glory and wisdom, how much more his new creation in Christ Jesus? God did not humble himself by becoming a man in order to die for the mountains and trees. The Father sent his Son to die for a group of people. The local church displays in a much greater, brighter, and majestic way the glory of God than all the canyons, mountains, and oceans all put together. This group of people here, look around, this group of people here. Not many noble, not many wise, not many intelligent, not many good looking. The Lord says that this group of people here, when they gather together to worship Him as a church, as the assembly, we are much more glorious than all these things together. Because you are displaying the wisdom of God in the cross of Christ. Do you remember that the wisdom of God, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, is foolishness to the world. Why? Because the wisdom of God is ultimately revealed in a Savior dying the most humiliating form of death, naked on a Gentile Roman cross. So, if the old creation declares the glory of God, how much more, how much more the new creation, you and me, brothers and sisters, when we get together as a church? And the church, the church displays the gospel. Not individuals. The church displays the gospel. The church is the theater. That's very important, brothers and sisters. We alone do not display the gospel. It's the church that's the theater of God's glory.
Because the gospel is much more than just my individual salvation. Our testimony is not the same as the gospel. Sometimes pe people confuse. They think that the testimony is the gospel. The gospel is much bigger than my testimony. I testify of the power of the gospel. But the gospel is bigger than just my life. Because part of the gospel, the heart of the gospel, is that Christ died for His people. And once He bought me, He did not leave me alone on my own. He brought me to His people. So the church displays the gospel. The people for whom Christ died and they covenant together to worship Him, that becomes the theater not only to the world around us, but to the heavenly realms. Imagine that demons and glorified angels, they look in awe that the sovereign God, instead of annihilating sinners, He actually had a plan to save them through a cross. And brothers and sisters, you know, we, we, I have been in contact with a lot of people, uh, not only here in the U.S., but in Brazil also, people who they believe that they don't need to be in a church. I have my family, so they do family church. Let me tell you, family worship is one thing, family church is a very different thing. We all should worship as a family. But your family is never the church. It cannot be. These types of gatherings have nothing to do with the church of God. Family church displays not the glory of the wisdom of God, but the self selfishness of those people. Look at that. When you're just assembled with your family, what are you doing? How are you displaying the wisdom of God in bringing all sorts of weird people that you never liked before together to worship and love the Lord. You can't. You're just with a group of people that inbred. You have to. That's completely different from a church where we see God's providence in bringing these people together. Would never be together if it wasn't the gospel of Jesus. Besides that, you cannot practice church discipline in a family church. Right? You should not be having the ordinances because that's for the church. Paul is very clear. Wait for one another. If you are hungry, you eat at home with your own family. But when you come to church, that's a different game. That's when we are together, different people. So the church is the theater of God where he displays his manifold and many splendored wisdom of how a triune God rescues people. And going back to the fall, the division of the, ra the human race, and bringing now one new race in Christ Jesus. So, why is the church important? Why is the local church important? Because it's the theater, the theater of God's wisdom, God's manifold wisdom. Amen? And people who reject, people who claim to be Christian, and they reject the local church, they are rejecting the wisdom of God. They are claiming to be wiser than God himself. Another point that Paul makes here about the importance of the church is that God's glory is in the church. Look at what Paul says. Look in verse 20. He's wrapping up his prayer to the Ephesians. And he says, now to him who is able to do far and more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. And look how he says, to him be glory, where? In the church and where? In Christ Jesus. God's glory in Jesus cannot be separated from his glory in the church. God instituted the church to bring glory to His name for how long? Look at the text. Forever and ever. For all eternity. The church is God's instrument to bring Him glory. 
And more and more people have been talking bad about the church, rejecting the church, despising the church, and you're rejecting the means of bringing glory to God through Christ Jesus. Our family and our government will not be the eternal seater of God's glory. I love my family. We should love our families. But my family is not going to be the eternal seater of God's glory. It's the church. The family will cease. Government will cease. But the church will never cease. The church continues. So to God be the glory in the church because the church is Christ's. No other institution was purchased by Christ's death. My wife, my kids, the family that I have was not purchased by Jesus' blood. The church was purchased. Your family, our government, even though we care a lot about that, was not the object of Jesus' sacrificial death, but was his body, the church. So, think about when people come to church, to a local church just like that, and they see men and women, young and old, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, people who once were dead in sins, enslaved to all sorts of idols, hated and hating one another, that's what Paul tells, and now they're living holy, not perfect, holy, faithful lives in unity and love. Think how that displays the glory and the wisdom of God. And that's why, as you come to church, and you see the Lord working in your life through the church, you cannot but glorify God in the church. As we come to the group of people, see, the church is not a building, the church is this group of people. As we gather together as a church, the assembly, and God works in us through the singing, through the preaching, through the fellowship, and we are transformed, we become more and more like Christ. And there is no way for us to give glory to God in the church. It's only in the church. That's his instrument that he has appointed. So Clinton Arnold, he says, The church is the masterpiece of God's grace. And its very existence brings glory to God. The church is at the heart of the mystery, a new creation by God. And is so valued by the Father that he offered the blood of his Son to create it. And then he says, As the church maintains its vital unity with Christ, becomes more like the Father in holiness, defeats the influence of the powers of the supernatural enemies, fills the world with the good news of the Son, resulting in its numerical growth, and offers continual praise to the Father, the church brings glory to God. People are going to say, oh, but Paul is talking about the universal church here. How is the universal church manifested? Through local churches. There is no glory to God through a body, an institution that you cannot see. Yeah. The universal church is manifested through local churches. Amen? So... The church is unique among all the institutions. The church alone displays the wisdom and glory of the triune God like no other institution. Paul says that Christ loved the church and what did he do? Gave himself up for her. Get with it. Embark on this journey. If you're against the church, you're against Christ. And you will not win. That's very simple. If you're against the local church, you're against the church, you're against Christ Jesus. And you will not win. Because he promised the gates of Hades will not prevail. And we have been seeing for more than 2,000 years, the church continues marching. People being saved. His people being sanctified. I have heard Christians saying, I'll die for Jesus, but I will never die for the church. I'll die for Jesus. How are you going to die for Jesus if you're not dying for the church? When he died for the church. It was Jesus who said, 
when you fed these brothers and sisters of yours, you're feeding me. It's John who says in 1 John, if you say that you love God, but you cannot love your brother and sister in your local church, how can the love of God abide in you? You can know all about theology. You can know all about the Reformation, the Puritans. You can know all about systematic theology, all sorts of things. But if you cannot get up earlier on Sunday to come and serve people, that's just worthless. You do not know Christ. If you have all this knowledge, I know so much about the church, you know so much about God, but you cannot get involved in a church to serve people, to love people, to sacrifice your life for those people. You do not know Christ. I remember a pastor saying, you either live for the church or you visit the church, talking to Christians. You either live for the church, meaning you cannot wait to be in church, you hate leaving the church, or you visit the church. You're just showing up there, you have no idea what's going on. And brothers and sisters, if we love Christ, we are going to live and die for the church. So, as we see the importance of the church, I just want to pastorally say, if you take a job, if you take a position at a workplace, or if you go to a school, a college, where you have not checked to see if there are healthy churches in that area, you are showing what's the most important thing in your life. It should be a priority. Because if you are heading to a place where there is no healthy church, you're committing suicide, spiritual suicide. Amen? So, the church is God's creation, Christ's body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the church is so important to God that should be and must be important to us. John Hammond, he says, go back here. The most important reason for Christians to be passionate about the church is that the church is God's passion. It is central to what God has been doing down through history, creating a people for his own possession, a people who will be his people, and for whom he will be their so if you love the wisdom, the glory, and the power of God, you will love where he manifests that like no other place, and that is the church. And brothers and sisters, that doesn't mean that we overlook the warts and flaws of the church. By no means. The church has warts and all, flaws. We are waiting. Jesus is sanctifying his people, and there will be the day when there will be no warts and all. There will be just perfection. But we, we know there, there are situations that are very painful in the church. I like what Mark Garcia says. He's, he writes, Marveling at the church's identity as glorious does not displace the need for an honest consideration of the church's faults and sins. Instead, only when we properly grasp the glorious identity and vocation of the church can we begin to appreciate the tragedy of the church's sins, as well as the urgency for her faithfulness. It's as we behold the glory of the church, how important the church is, how marvelous this theater is, is that we realize how horrible the sins in the church are. And the more we want to fight against that and stop with that. And I tell you, the church is the most radical group of people you can be part of, a healthy local church. Some of us have been part of very different groups, some very crazy groups of people, clubs. But let me tell you, nothing's like the church. It changes you drastically. It kills you, humiliates you, and makes you a new creation, makes you more like Christ. So I pray that our study of the doctrine of the church, our study of what it means to be a Baptist church, we will be deeply connected with our desire to display the glory and the wisdom of God. We were singing earlier, glorious things of the air spoken. Do you know who wrote that hymn? John Newton. 
In John Newton, there was a time in his life that he hated God. He loved his sins. He hated the church. Until the Lord Jesus came and conquered his heart and changed that man completely. And he became a lover of Christ and a lover of the church so much that he became a pastor. And as he's looking at, like we read Psalm 87, the God's presence in the Old Testament in Zion, and he comes and he sees God's much more glorious presence now in the church, and that's when he writes the beautiful hymn, Glorious Things of the Year Spoken. And he says, Savior, sins of Zion City, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity. I will glory in thy name. And look how he says, Fading is the worldling's pleasure, and all its boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. Solid joys and lasting treasures are found in Christ alone, and he cannot find that outside his group of people in whom he is dwelling right now, the church. Another hymn that we're going to be singing soon, is I Love Thy Kingdom, O Lord, by Timothy Dwight. He was a grandson of Jonathan Edwards. And he's not saying that the church is the kingdom of God. He's talking about how the church is the visible manifestation of God's kingdom. Where can you find love, peace, and righteousness? In the church of Christ. So he's, and he writes, he says, I love thy church, O God. Her walls are... Before me stand, dear as the apple of thine eye, engraven on thy hand. For her, for the church, my tears shall fall. For her, my prayers ascend. For her, my cares and toils be given, till toils and cares shall end. When was the last time you heard a song on the Christian radio station about the glory of the local church, the church of Christ? It seems that we stop writing hymns about the church. Oh, we should be writing hymns about God. Yes. We should write hymns about God's word. And about what God loves. And he loves his people. His word is full of references about his people. The church. Sadly so many people approach the church as if it was the shopping mall. And the only thought that they have. What is in this church for me? So they already come with the list of what they need in a church. And what is there for me? They never approach the local church with a heart of, how can I love these people and die for them? How can I love these people, serve them, and die for them? And I mean the church, the people, not the programs. Because sometimes you can love a church because of the programs. And once the programs fail and stop, then you need to find a different church. But the people, loving the people. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Shall we not do the same? So this, this small local church is a glorious theater of God's manifold wisdom. I think about people passing by, walking through, looking at us, seeing us coming to this place. And they probably think, oh, how foolish they are to waste their Sunday mornings here. They have no idea. They have no idea of the glory that is in this place as we assemble as one body here. Those who have tasted the solid joys and lasting treasures, those whose, whose tears, cares, and toils are given to the church know how beautiful, glorious, and incomparable this place is. Because Jesus is here. Because the Lord Jesus is walking among us. Through His Spirit, He's changing us, speaking to us, healing us, comforting us, transforming us. So as we start our journey through what it means to be a Baptist church, I would say to be a Baptist means that we love God. We love the Word. And because we love God and love the Word, we love the church. Amen. Father, we 
come before you and we thank you for your precious word. What a glorious text in Ephesians 3. Impossible for us to dig and, and, and taste all the truth that is there, Lord. But just a little bit you have given us is more than enough to feed us, sustain us, and empower us. Lord, help us to love your people. Help us to imitate you in loving your church. Aware of the flaws, aware of the sins, but always eager, always eager to see your glory in changing us, transforming us. Help us to love you, help us to love your word, and love one another. Deliver us from the anti-establishment spirit. You have established the church for your glory as the theater of your wisdom. And as we come here, every time we gather together, it's jaw-dropping to see all these different people. People who would never be together if it was not for your gospel. So many people that we would never, we would never love, serve. But because of your great love, your sacrifice, Jesus, you have united us. And that displays your wisdom, the wisdom of the cross. Help us to behold that. Help us to be that place where people glorify you. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. So help us to be this place where people glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.